Matthew chapter 24. Also known as the Olivet Discourse, we did an introduction to this on uh, this weekend's services. And uh, we see this discourse in Matthew 24 and then also in Mark 13 and Luke chapter 21. And there's debate on whether there are three different sermons or three variations of the same sermon. Um, and you can look that up and study that if you want. <laughs> but you'll notice they're, they're very similar and talking about the same subjects. And some would say they're, they're just you know Mark's account uh, versus Luke's account or Matthew's account. Um, <clears throat> By the way, the various gospels, when you look at the harmony of the gospels, I love, some people get frustrated that they're not exactly word for word the same. But I love the nuances, and I think inspiration by the Holy Spirit is what gives perspectives on the same topic. And um, it's not, shouldn't be looked at as, you know, troubling as much as it is informative. Uh, I love the various gospels. When we get to Luke 21, we'll kind of compare and contrast uh, Matthew's account of this. <laughs> and so we, we really did kind of do an introduction on uh, this last weekend. So let's dive right in. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, see ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Quiz time, question. Um, has verse two, the red letters of verse two. Has that happened yet? Good, that's right. Um, and uh, does anybody remember, what was the date of that when that happened? AD 70, correct, 70 AD, uh, yes. Um, and it was when the Romans came and crushed Jerusalem. And this, this prophecy came to, uh, to fulfillment, you know, exactingly. It wasn't just that they destroyed Jerusalem, um, or even shut down the temple, uh, but actually not one stone of the temple would be left on another, which if you see the stones, that's kind of an amazing thing. And, um, and you know, we talked about this, by the way, uh, uh, you know, about how this all happened. I brought some pictures that I snapped. A couple of my tourists, these are from my iPhone, so they're not, uh, don't, don't judge me. Um, but but uh, when we went to Rome a few years back with a bunch of Athey Creekers, um, it was kind of cool because uh, we went to the Arch of Titus there right next to the Colosseum uh, in Rome. And um, I snapped a few shots here. But what was interesting is our tour guide, this nice Roman lady uh, there, she, um, she was giving us a tour, but she really didn't mention what this arch was all about because it's not politically correct. Uh, this arch was built to celebrate the crushing of the Jews in Jerusalem in AD 70. Uh, when you go to Rome, this, this monument here is talking about this very event. Jesus predicted that not one stone in the temple would be left on another. And, and uh, she didn't even point out the relief that's on the side. Um, if you look on the inside of the arch, I snapped a shot. Does anybody recognize something from that stone cut? Yeah, you see the menorah being hauled off. Uh, now, Flavius Josephus, if you, wanna, if you wanna read the history of this, uh, like remember I talked about the flaming arrow that went in and melted the temple? That's, that comes from Josephus, the works of antiquities, and it's a four volume set, not armchair reading, but it is nonetheless a, a very reliable source, in my opinion, of uh, first century history. And Josephus writes about this, how they took these things out 
Um, but they didn't get all of the things out, and that's when the flaming arrow went through and, and burned up the other, the remaining stuff. So it does appear that they took the menorah, um, uh, which was also solid gold, but it was still intact. It, ha- it wasn't melted. But Flavius says later that arrow came and melted all the other stuff that was in there, which, is caused, which caused the um, Romans to turn all the stones over there in the temple. But it's really interesting that even to this day in Rome, there's this, um, this deal uh, that stands. This, this, to me, this is a monument not to the destruction of Jerusalem or the temple. This is a monument to Jesus is always right. Um, like, like, how can you not believe the Bible? How can you not believe Jesus who said, here's what's gonna happen. The temple's gonna be destroyed. Not one stone's gonna stand on another and the Romans are gonna, you know, like, like Jesus totally nails this perfectly. Um, the area around here, by the way, around this Titus's arch is kind of fascinating. When we went to Rome, uh, we uh, were able to shoot some, some video of this. The Colosseum was built by Jews. After AD 70, people don't understand this. I asked my tour guide there. I said, who built those Colosseums? She said, well, Romans. And I said, well, who did the work? And she said, well, um, slaves. And I said, who were the slaves? And I could tell she was getting irritated. Um, <laughs> And she had to admit they were Jews, uh, which is kind of funny. But we got to do some teaching right here at the Arch of Titus and talk about what this meant as far as the Bible prophecy of Jesus about the destruction of the temple here at the Arch of Titus. Um, Really kind of a cool moment to be able to see such Bible in action. There's the relief. By the way, the Jews took this relief that was meant to be a huge insult and they use it to this day as a national symbol. Did you know that? You'll see this relief in their, some of their stamps. They made a trading stamp or like a, a mailing stamp out of this relief. And you say, why would you take such a horrible reminder of the destruction of Jerusalem and make a stamp out of it? Because the Jews have a mindset of this, never again. We will never again allow people to crush Jerusalem. And um, that's an important thing, especially as it relates to Bible prophecy and all that. Now, one of the things I also wanted to show you is I brought, I, I wish, I, I, I don't have great pictures of this. Uh, and I, I need, next time I go to Jerusalem, I'm gonna take real time to take some shots of this. But here's some Athey Creekers standing. Uh, let me explain this next picture that I snapped. Um, you see, there was a road there, obviously. Now, in the, during the time of Christ, that was the main street going through the, 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 the city of uh, Jerusalem. Um, and you'll note, there's a big pile of stones uh, up, up at the far end there, uh, piled up. And you'll also note that there's huge dents um, in the, in the uh, you know, pavement, if you'd call it that, um, there. This is the Western Wall. Um, if, you, if you follow the lines of this wall, um, you can see the lines. If you were to keep going um, that uh, you know, uh, north direction there on that wall, just, just another couple hundred yards, you'd end up at the Western Wailing Wall where the Jews, you know, you see them praying and stuff. It's the same wall. This is just down a little deeper because uh, they dug this out archeologically. Um, those little things, stand, the people are standing looking at the wall, but if you look behind them, those are little shops where the people would have been selling things and uh, you know, you'd buy your little stuff as you're walking on the main street there. Um, during the time of Jesus, um, and, but all those big rocks that are piled up there are the rocks where the Romans threw them over the wall and they're left right where they're sitting. 
Um, that's the amazing thing of the Bible coming to life. When you go to you know, Israel, it's, it's just amazing to, it just confirms when you go to Israel, one of the things you go away, just, it's just kind of striking how the Bible's real. These stories happened. And there's all these pipe puffing, cardigan sweater wearing people here back in the States at Berserkly and other places saying, you know, well, this stuff never really happened. And it's really blah, 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 blah. And they, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, just go to Jerusalem, go to Israel, talk to the real scholars, you know, uh, and uh, you'll see what actually really did happen. But one of the things that we wanna say about this was Jesus just trying to burst their bubble because um, here, you know, it starts in verse one, the disciples want to show Jesus the temple. And, and you know, and, and if, if you recall, he, he mentions the desolation of the temple in verse 38 of chapter 23. We talked about that. And now the disciples are like, hey, but Jesus, did you see how beautiful the temple is? You got to understand to a Jew, like Peter, James, and John and the gang, they would have been thrilled the temple's remodeled. Man, look, Jesus, we're back in business. The temple looks glorious. And, and, and you were talking about its destruction and, and desolation. Come and see this temple. And I'm pretty sure, you know, the disciples were pretty excited about it. Was Jesus trying to just burst their temple bubble about how excited they were? Um, or was Jesus actually showing his disciples and speaking to them, um, trying to pull them out of the religious trappings that have veered way off course by this time in history? The temple was at that point totally lost. Caiaphas, the high priest, wacko. He was only a politician, not a spiritual guy at all. Obviously he didn't have discernment. He was in charge of killing God in the flesh. Caiaphas was totally off course, as were the Sanhedrin. And if you remember last chapter, chapter 23, the, the, uh, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Herodians, Jesus just gave one of the most brutal hammerings uh, in all the Bible. In chapter 23, Jesus is trying to pull these four disciples kind of out of that mindset. Guys, don't you get it? That's what he says there in verse two when he says unto them, see ye not these things? It's a rhetorical question. Don't you see what I'm saying? The temple's gonna be destroyed. Why? Well, he already told us in chapter 23 because of their rebellion, their hard-heartedness. Uh, Judaism had lost its way in that time of the first century. Um, and so, you know, um, Jesus pulling the disciples away from those religious trappings uh, and, and show the fallacy of that. It's more about the future of what the Lord has in store. It's not about the temple itself. And this whole dis discussion in Matthew 24 is gonna be about what God's plan is for the world. And the temple is very short-sighted. It's a tiny little thing that the disciples are kind of hung up on in the first part of this chapter. You know what's sad about this to me? is Christians still haven't learned this lesson. We still get all into the trappings of religion. And I think it's something that really pulls us off course fairly quickly. Um, one of the things that we do on our Israel trip is we go to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. And then we go to the Garden Tomb. And the reason we go to those two places is because there's kind of an A, B, sort of compare and contrast, and it's really healthy, I think, for us. If you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, let me show you, I, this is another iPhone video that I shot right here. These are people that are um, at the stone in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. They believe Jesus' body may have been laid on in preparation. And you'll see people from all over the world. This stone is, is wearing, there's wearing uh, little divots and dips in this stone because for you know, now millennia, people have been wiping their um, handkerchiefs and purses and handbags and noses 
and lips um, on this. I wouldn't touch it. I'm a little bit of a, a germaphobe. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> but, you know, there's literally, some of these people are hoping that some of Jesus' DNA literally rubs off under their handkerchief. And I'm pretty sure it was polished off somewhere around the 13th century. If, if Jesus really laid there, like, like I, I have huge questions on the validity of the Church of the Holy Sepulcher to begin with. It was, you know, Helena, uh, Alexander the Great's, you know, mother who claimed that this was the place. Um, and it could be, but in, in some ways, just academically, archeologically, I, I, I feel doubtful that this actually was the place. There is some British guys who uh, back in the 800s found a tomb that was uh, empty, that also was by a garden. Um, in fact, of the nine parameters that is required by biblical description of the tomb of Jesus, there's nine things we have to say, well, these things have to be present if this is the tomb of Jesus. All nine of those boxes are checked with the garden tomb, not so with the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. So um, that's one of the things, if you go to Israel with us, uh, you know, and by the way, our Israel trip has 500 people on the waiting list right now, truly. Um, but um, I'm planning another trip uh, next, uh, the following, uh, you know, season. We're gonna try to go uh, with, and we're gonna take 10 buses. So we're gonna do a huge, fun trip. So be ready for that. If you didn't make this last one, we're, we're making one where y'all can come. So, well, half of you in the room could come. No, one third of you guys in the room. <laughs> 10 buses, uh, 500 people. That, that'll, be, that'll be quite a trip. But Church of the Holy Sepulchre is um, sort of gaudy and it's, it's been uh, there for, you know, it's one of the oldest churches in the world. It's kind of an amazing architectural building. It's, it's fun to see for that. It's, it's a little gross with all the kissing and uh, all the worship of, of a place. Um, and, and then we walk through the uh, Arab quarter and we end up getting to the garden tomb um, where these British guys, and I love the way the British handle it. They're like, um, could this be the tomb of Jesus? They say yes, uh, but, but that's not what's important. Um, the British guys always, I love those little British, they're little old retired guys from England that are there telling, you know, but what's important is Jesus rose from the grave. It's not as important the place. But could this be, like the way they handle it, uh, one of my favorite lines uh, from one of those British guys, uh, he said, if, if, if Jesus wanted to uh, have the metric system, he would have had 10 disciples instead of 12. And I thought, that, that's good. Uh, but anyway, um, all that to say, um, you know, um, you know, it's not about the, the locations and the places. Don't be a religious uh, relic person. Uh, that's something that becomes, in a way, idolatry, and we should really watch out for that. These disciples are a little hung up on the temple, but, but Lord, look at the temple. And Jesus, not one of these stones is gonna uh, stay on top of another. It really is all about Jesus. It's not about the relics, the churches, the buildings. Uh, it's one of the things I hope we never do, you know, just, just here at Athey Creek, you know, make a big deal out of our building. Uh, that's why we, we really did just build a warehouse. This is a warehouse, a big rectangle box. Um, and, uh, and you say, well, bro, we like our box. It's funny, because I do too. Like, uh, you know, the AC Creekers have made it homey and cozy and it works for, uh, it keeps the rain off our heads. Um, but it's not the Crystal Cathedral, if you know what I mean, uh, or anything like that. Uh, 
And um, the thing about that that I think is important is to remember, it's just a building. Um, and we go wherever Jesus is. Wherever the Holy Spirit's moving, that's where we wanna be. Uh, it doesn't matter about the building and all that. Um, I think sometimes we churches make too much, even today, of our uh, locations and stuff. It's, the key is, where is Jesus? Uh, so this brings us then to um, verse three. And again, we looked at this this weekend. It says, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Uh, what we went over on Sunday, uh, we took a lot of time and was fairly long-winded in explaining this is not three questions, this is actually two, linguistically. And another thing is the King James says end of the world, it's actually better translated end, end of the age, but it, it does mean the end of the, the age of the world. Uh, and, and we don't take that from that word end of the world or end of the age, we get it from the context of the question. The question is, two, two questions, remember, when will these things be, question number one, and then what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age, that's number two. Those two things go together. And one of the thes there, what will be the sign of your coming and end of the age? Um, so that's the way it would read in the original Greek. So, so really the disciples are equating the second coming of Jesus with the end of the age. And why are they thinking end of the age? Um, that's a good question. We, we have to think that maybe when Jesus is saying, yeah, not one of these stones on the temple is gonna be left on another, the disciples are probably imagining cataclysmic event that's total destruction. Now, AD 70 was that for Jerusalem, but it was not that for the world. Um, and so we went over the, 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 a bit of the controversy about what's Matthew chapter 24 about, because you have to kind of go back to this question uh, in verse three. That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse, because it says in verse three, they went up to the Mount of Olives. Now, by the way, uh, this, the, the disciples, we're gonna look at this later, but the disciples, it may not be the 12, it actually might be three or four of the disciples. And I'll, I'll show you that later on in Luke's account and Mark's account. It might just be Peter, James, and John, may, maybe just, just a small group that came and asked him this. So it's really a small little privately, hey, Jesus, we, we need some more information. Uh, and the two questions are, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? and the end of the age. Those are the two questions. Um, and so Jesus is gonna answer that question. Um, the reason that's important, again, is because some people say that all of Matthew 24 is all about AD 70. Um, and hopefully as we go through this, I hope, hope we kind of set the stage on, on the weekend service about how this really isn't uh, about AD 70. Jesus is gonna talk about uh, when is the, what are the signs of his coming and how are we gonna know when the end of the age is gonna be near? When, when will this happen? And I believe, very simply, that's, you might be saying, Brett, that's, that's clear. Uh, why are you spending so much time with this? More than half of Christendom, half of Christianity, believes this has already passed. Um, if you're a preterist or an amillennialist, you believe it's, it all happened in AD 70. And if you're a preterist, all of Bible prophecy has already been fulfilled. And, and everything in the Bible's history, including the book of Revelation, and including Matthew 24. And again, most of Christianity believes that. Now I say most of Christianity, most of uh, the, the doctrines of various denominations and churches. Most of my friends that go to K 
Catholic church or uh, Presbyterian churches, most of them don't even know what they believe. They just kind of go along with the church and say, well, whatever they say about the end. Um, and they don't even look at it because they don't teach it, they don't talk about it. And so most of my friends that do that, they, unless you're like a pastor or went to cemetery, I mean seminary, um, <laughs> You, you may not know what you believe about eschatology, but that's why certain churches never talk about Bible prophecy. They don't believe in it. And that's shocking to me. When you read, when you read what's going on here tonight, what we're about to read, you kind of have to say, wait a minute, shouldn't they have sort of changed their notes eventually and realized that Jesus is actually answering the disciples' question. What are the signs of your second coming? And when is the end of the age or the end of the world? Um, which is also coupled with the signs of his coming. The second coming of Jesus is sort of the end of the world as we know it. And I'm not talking about REM. Uh, I'm talking about uh, the end of the world as we know it now. The millennial kingdom, do you remember when we talked in the Old Testament, every time we said the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, it was over and over again. That's the day when God intervenes into humanity and the world's gonna be very different from that day forward. So really, that, if you would, is the end of the age. When God says, time's up with the world, that's gonna be the end of the age. And we can call it different things. You can call it the church age, because right now, for the past 2,000 years, we've been living in the church age. Or what is another name? Anybody, what's another age? The age of the Gentiles. That's another way of saying church age or the age of the Gentiles because the Jews have been put on pause, if you would. They've been blinded, Romans 11 says, in part. And, and there's coming a time when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, that'll be that end of this age. And then the day of the Lord happens. I'm, I'm using all kinds of biblical terms that we read in the Bible and I'm kind of putting them all together. The day of the Lord then happens and then all of Israel will be saved. Their eyes will be opened during a time called the tribulation period. Um, if you really put the whole Bible together, it makes perfect sense. It's, it's actually not even that hard. Um, it's my humble opinion that if you got stuck on a desert island with a Bible, and all you had was just time to figure out what the Bible says about the last days and the end of the age and the end of the world, I think you'd fairly easily come up with a very simple, clear description of what the Bible says about the end of the age. And what Jesus is about to tell us will fit with every other passage uh, of Bible prophecy. There's no contradiction or conflict here. If you have those other views, you have some real problems and we'll probably point some of those things out, not to be mean, but just to say, watch out for kind of this misguided view that there's no more prophecy in the world and God's done and it's all history in the Bible. That's a real bummer, it's unfortunate. People are missing out on seeing what the Bible actually is telling us and it's so unfortunate. Well, all that to say, now let's get to Jesus's answer. It says in verses four and five, and Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. If you would, in your jotting down notes, maybe you could put down number one, the first sign that Jesus talks about is deception. Watch out for deception. Um, and not just general deception, although that's something that is all throughout the Bible. Uh, Paul talks about a massive deception there in um, you know, 2 Thessalonians talks about it. There's gonna be a great falling away uh, and people are gonna be deceived. Um, there's a deception galore that's gonna happen as we get closer to the end of time, deception. But deception, particularly as it relates to um, Jesus, who's the Christ, and there's gonna be those who will want to be in place of that. 
I'm using that terminology purposefully, in place of Christ. Does anybody know another biblical term of that? Antichrist. Now, you say, well, isn't that a character that's coming in the future? Yes, but the Bible also talks about there are many antichrists that will come. And people are gonna be drawn away. You know, Isaiah 53, six says, all we like sheep have, been, have gone astray. But in the last days, there's gonna be a lot of sheep deceived to go after false shepherds or false Christs. Here's what John the apostle said in 1 John 2, 18. Little children, it is the last time and you have heard that Antichrist shall come. That's the Antichrist. Even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. In other words, John's saying the closer we get to the last days, and, and in some ways, I know this might sound a little weird, but in the bigger picture, the last days um, kind of includes from the resurrection and ascension of Jesus to the present day. You could in some ways say these are the last days. You say, well, that was 2,000 years ago. You're calling that the last days? Yes, compared to the Old Testament times, the church age is, um, kind of considered part of the last days. But Brett, that's 2,000 years. But when, remember what Peter said in, in, uh, in the context of the, the end times? He said, remember, a day with the Lord is as a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is as a day. So, you know, for the first four days, that's, that's the Old Testament. <laughs> and then, the, and then the, 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 oh, it's only been a couple days uh, of the New Testament, age of the Gentiles, <clears throat> or the time of the church age, um, you could in some ways say this is all part of the last days. Um, but the Bible also tells us and teaches us that we'll know we're getting closer to the very end time of those last days as we see certain things ramp up. And we're gonna see Jesus even talk about that. But this idea of antichrists, um, it says there, there'll be many antichrists whereby we know that it'll be the last time. So, so what's an antichrist? If he's not the Antichrist, what is, what is an Antichrist? Well, um, it, it helps to kind of break that down into the Greek language just a little bit. Uh, Antichristos is the Greek word. Um, the adversary of the Messiah, one who opposes God is the, is the word in the Greek definition. But it's a combination of two uh, uh, words. The Greek word anti, uh, which means over against or opposite to, instead of or in place of. Um, and then the word Christos, which we studied this word when Peter said, you're the Christos, the son of the living God. Remember when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And that speaks of the anointed one, the Messiah. Um, so there's some that if you put these two together, wanna to be instead of or in place of the Christos, the Messiah. Are there anybody, are there people in the world? See, I used to think, well, this must be like um, people like, um, you know, you know Gandhi maybe, or or the, you know who was the guy down there in Waco, uh, the the Koresh guy who was kind of claiming to be sort of a messiah sort of dude, or I, you know Jim Jones, or like I used to think it was just these characters who would sort of pretend to be the Christ or the second coming or whatever. But I'm I've learned over the years it, it's that, <clears throat> but maybe even more more importantly, people that would say, well, instead of Christ, we've got something else. We're putting something, our, our view, our way, our thing in place of Christ. Um, and so it's funny when people say stuff like, um, oh, I'm just very deeply spiritual. Yeah, but do you believe in Jesus Christ? Oh, I don't really, I just believe that all paths sort of lead to, oh, that's in place of Christ. And that's what we would call antichrist, in place of or instead of. 
Um, that, that's why you, you kind of hear me uh, talk about Oprah Winfrey all the time. People think I've got a thing to really bash Oprah, but it, it, it's tough because Oprah, people love Oprah. Um, they think she's awesome, but she is all about Antichrist. Uh, she, just, just look it up. She said, we don't need Jesus to be saved. And she's made that very clear. She's more into the new age sort of movement. And I've shown you clips and snippets. I'm not gonna do that tonight, but um, we've talked about that at length. But anyone who um, sort of poses in place of Jesus, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. He alone is the truth. There's nothing else that can replace Jesus. You know, um, Acts chapter four, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's what Acts 4.12 says. Um, and that's the key. Uh, we need to cling to that church. Watch out for anyone, even if they give free cars at their television show or whatever. Um, watch out for anyone who sort of diminishes Jesus and sort of puts something else in place of Christ. That is the spirit of Antichrist. You cannot be saved apart from Christ. The only way to heaven is through Christ. And um, if you don't like that, by the way, you don't like what the Bible teaches very soundly. The Bible very clearly defines that. Um, and there's a lot of people today, there's many antichrists today. So what John said was, we're seeing that happen, um, where he says, man, as we get closer to the end, there'll be many antichrists that are gonna come in those days. So all that to say, you, you know, it, it's so important to understand that deception is gonna mark the last days. Now, I want you to be thinking as we're going through these, this section here, um, I want you to be thinking, who is Jesus addressing? When he's talking about you, uh, you know, here in this context. Um, you know, take heed that no man deceive you. Who is he talking to? Um, is he talking to the disciples? Um, well, I think so, because that's who asked the question. But is he talking to us? Or is he talking to only Jews? Um, and I, the reason I raise that question is because um, there's controversy about this. Um, and, and some people would say this is about no one but the disciples because they say it's all about AD 70, so this doesn't matter to you. Um, so just kind of keep that in mind. I think you guys know where I'm going with this, but it's important in Matthew 24 to, to, to discern who is Jesus talking to because he will shift gears three times in this dissertation. He will shift gears three times. I'll show you that as we uh, hopefully maybe get there tonight. I'll show you that. But <laughs> uh, so he says, you know, the first thing to watch out for is deception, where there are gonna be many coming trying to deceive, uh, saying, I am Christ, or, you know, in place of Christ. The second notion is there in verse uh, six, wars and rumors of wars. It says in verse six, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but... The end is not yet. Now there's so much here that we, could, that we really need to kind of hear what Jesus is saying. The first thing I wanna say um, is, it's interesting that he, he throws in here, see that you be not troubled. Um, in other words, make sure, that's when he says see to it. You know, make sure that you're not troubled. But isn't what he just said troubling? I mean, you're kind of like, thanks, Lord, uh, but uh, see that be not by those blood and guts and wars and rumors of war, but they're gonna blow up and everything's going down. Don't be troubled. Is that what he's saying? 
Well, no, um, the idea is, um, this is an important component of Christianity. Your and my peace and comfort and uh, tranquility doesn't come by our circumstances. As Christians, that's not what should dictate whether you're at peace or calm or happy or joyful. You and I need to let the person dictate that. Jesus is our peace. He is our peace. Um, Jesus said, not as the world gives, give I to thee, but I give to you peace that is like beyond understanding, Philippians will remind us. It goes past knowledge and understanding. And the peace that I give, totally different. And this is a key. You know, here's Paul the apostle who writes the book of Philippians. And, and in the book of Philippians, 19 times does Paul say the word joy or rejoice. Man, it's a book about joy and rejoicing. I love the book of Philippians. If you wanna be encouraged, read Philippians because it's just a book about joy. And, and, um, and yet, where did Paul write that? In prison. Who writes a book about joy in prison? I'd write about 101 ways to break out of jail, you know, how to hide a hacksaw in a, in a cake, or like I'd write another book. Uh, but Paul writes about joy. Um, that's, that's amazing. Why is that? Paul's joy was not dictated by his circumstances. His joy was dictated by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And the mature believer, the mature Christian works at that and says, that's the goal. I'm gonna find my rest in Christ. I'm gonna find my peace that passes understanding in Jesus. Um, and so when Jesus is saying this, this is something the rest of the Bible teaches us. Um, there's gonna be wars and rumors of wars, he says here, um, but see that you be not troubled. And it reminds me of John 14, where Jesus says, I'm about to leave you guys and be crucified, and the disciples are all troubled. And then that's, that's John 13. And then in John chapter 14, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Um, and then he talks about you know, heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, you know, like Jesus tells the disciples why they don't have to let their hearts be troubled. Because of Jesus, the work of the cross, salvation, and the hope of heaven. And so all that to say, when Jesus says, see that you be not troubled, that's not just some empty, eh, toughen up. Or some empty, you know, don't worry, things are gonna get better, pat, pat, pat. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, see that you be not troubled. Why? Now, one of the things I've noticed uh, that, that we can do in these modern days is we can let ourselves be troubled. And we actually accommodate troubled hearts and strife and contention. Um, that's part of the nature of what, what the days you and I live. It's almost like we live to be troubled, some of us. Are you one that needs to maybe take a break from news? Are some of you news junkies and you're, you know, you know I, I, I heard a truck driver the other day said, Pastor Brad, I had to stop listening to the podcast. He, he like drives, you know, 24 hours a day, just drive, drive, drive. And he's like, I was listening to too much stuff that's bad. And, and he just found himself angry and like road rage angry. And just like, uh, I'm like, oh, I think I've seen you on the freeway. Um, no, I, did, I didn't say that. But um, man, if you're a news junkie, uh, your blood can start boiling and you can get upset about what's going on in the world. I can't believe they're doing that, and I can't believe they're saying, and you, your, your heart rate is uh, escalating, and your blood pressure is skyrocketing, and, and you know, you're podcasting, and news shows, and all this stuff that we do. But the idea is, um, is that of God? There's an interesting question. Is watching news of God? Um, there's a, some of you are like, 
no. Um, well, let me just say this. I think there is a place for knowing what's going on in the world. Um, and there are some people I think that are really called to be, the Bible uses this interesting phrase. I'm not gonna go into it. It's a great, we do a whole teaching on being watchmen on the wall. Are you guys familiar with that term? Uh, and the Lord, the Lord has called some people to be sort of watchmen. And I think that that's kind of cool. As long as you're doing something like that, where you're watching what's going on, because Jesus is gonna tell us, watch, be sober, be vigilant, looking, seeing the times of season. There's certain things we're supposed to do to know about what's going on around us. Um, but I think there can be too much of that. And we, we also lose our focus. We're not looking for Jesus. We're looking for Antichrist. And we're looking for the mark of the beast. And we're looking for all the horrible things, the wars and rumors of wars. We're looking for all the negative when we, we lose perspective. And, we, we, and, and, and how do you know if, if maybe your consumption of media is good or bad? Well, I, I love, would you keep your finger here and turn with me to James chapter three? Um, this is a, a test that you can run to see if you've got maybe a little too much. It's James chapter three, verse 13. It says there in James uh, chapter three, verse 13, who is a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation, that, that's a lifestyle, um, his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Boy, that's the first part of what we're gonna call the sieve here. If you run your media intake through this sieve, does it make your heart start to get envious with all the commercials? Oh, I wish I had that, you know, thing that they're advertising. Maybe we've seen a little too much of that. Um, also, if there's strife in your heart, does it cause strife? Uh, verse 16, where envy or strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. You know, that's basically the goal of every news outlet today. Do you know what pays the bills for news companies? Bad news. Good news doesn't pay the bills. I know some news agencies have tried. Have you ever seen the, the pathetic attempts? Oh, here's some good news today. It's somebody turned 115 years old today. There she is, you know, and that's the good news. And then Russia's about to go nuclear and World War III is right on the cusp. Uh, sorry, the 115 year old lady didn't help me uh, on that one. The nuclear uh, catastrophe that's looming causes a little more concern and strife in my heart. Like, like that's what sells. That's what pays the bills for CNN, Fox News, all these agencies, all these podcasts and talking, like, like talking about stuff. You know, that, that's kind of an interesting thing. But, but it says, don't lie against this. That's confusion in every evil work. This wisdom is not from above, but it's earthly, sensual, and devilish. So we need to be kind of careful about this. But that's the bad news. There's another version, though, that is talked about here. The, this, this is what passes the test. Look at verse 17 of the same passage. But it says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. 
By the way, you know, one of the things I attempt to do, now whether I do it or not is another question, but I really do. When we do prophecy updates here at Athey, one of the goals that I really have is to, especially for those of you who are like, yeah, I, I don't like listening to the news and I don't like following all the details of what's going on. It does make my heart full of strife and confusion and, and fear. And, and so some, some of you might say, well, prophecy updates sort of my chance to, to get sort of up to speed on what's going on. And that's cool. If that's, if that's what we're doing, I'm happy to do that. But one of my goals always is to not leave everybody hanging. Yeah, the earth's pretty much going down. Good luck, the end is near. Um, there's a lot of prophecy people online and people that they forget to talk about the, the good news of the gospel, which is the whole point. Um, if we miss that part, it's just doom and gloom. And that's why I always talk about it. It's not doom and gloom, it's what? Boom and zoom. We have the rapture of the church to look forward to. We get to head up into heaven at the sound of the trumpet. We're, we're gonna be in heaven with the Lord. And, and there's so much comfort that the word gives us um, when it comes to these things. And, and, and I, I don't find it shocking that Jesus, right here at the onset of his sermon, back to the sermon here or the uh, discourse, when he, I'm not surprised he says, you know, wars and rumors of wars, but see that you be not troubled. Don't be freaked out by this. If you're being freaked out by Bible prophecy, we're maybe doing the wrong thing. We need you to uh, get to that place where you know what's going on in the world, as unpeaceable as that really is, and, and the bad news, knowing some of that stuff, but ultimately putting your trust and your rest in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, having our hope in heaven. So we need to have that balance. When we talk about Bible prophecy, there needs to be sort of even uh, comfort. Is it peaceable or is it stirring strife? Is it clear or is it confusing? Does it bring answers or does it make more questions? Those are the questions I'm constantly ask, asking. But also, is it making us look for and long for the coming of Jesus and excited about his coming? That's what Bible prophecy should do. For book of Revelation says, the spirit of prophecy is Jesus Christ. Um, so we should always get back to Jesus Christ. And, and, and so Jesus saying here, you know, uh, very clearly saying, don't, don't uh, see that you be not troubled. This is, by the way, not just Jesus who says this. Uh, Paul the apostle in 1 Thessalonians 5 says, comfort yourselves uh, together and edify or build up one another. And the context of that is the uh, rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians 4, and then also um, the second coming of Christ and the tribulation period even is talked about. And it says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, there right after he talks about the rapture of the church, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And by the way, the doctrine, uh, the teaching of the rapture of the church, some people say, oh, it's not even in the Bible. It is just, uh, you know, we've done whole teachings on that uh, and I'm not gonna dive into that today, but, but uh, you can look it up on our, our website. We've done full teachings on the rapture of the church and where it is and how it's, it's very clear in the Bible. But right after it talks about that, it says, so wherefore, comfort one another with these words. There's something that I find very comforting about the rapture of the church. There's no problem I'm wrestling with today, the difficulties I'm dealing with, that's not gonna be immediately solved when the rapture of the church happens. Um, you know, that, there's a real comfort that comes from trusting that the Lord is, is, um, is coming. So, um, let's, let's try to keep that as our goal. If you walk away from a service, as, especially as we're going through Matthew 24, and you're like, doom and gloom, then maybe we've missed the point, or maybe I've done a bad job. Because my goal is to always say, but the Lord is on his way. He's coming to rescue us. He's coming to make the wrongs that we're seeing in the world right. 
We can be encouraged to know that righteousness will prevail and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And like this is stuff that, that we have to encourage each other. So we need to constantly do that. By the way, um, when people say churches that do Bible prophecy are just into doom and gloom, you know who's into doom and gloom is CNN and Fox News and all the news and the podcasts and like that. There's a lot of doom. Did you guys hear about the doomsday clock this week? Um, over the years, because I've been doing prophecy updates, uh, wow, for 28 years now. Um, and one of the things that's kind of interesting is to watch this doomsday clock that they made. Um, and I've been watching that, and maybe you have too. How many of you have been watching the doomsday clock over the last couple decades? What it was, after 19, um, you know, 45-ish, um, you know, after World War II ended, um, a bunch of nuclear scientists uh, got together and said, this is really bad. The fact that we have nuclear weapons, they said, we're doomed. And they saw that back in the 1940s because of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And they just knew it's literally a ticking time bomb where we just destroy the whole earth. And so they made this kind of group of scientists. And these, these guys aren't cartoon guys. Like these are legitimate brainiac scientific thinkers that deal with nuclear uh, you know, science and stuff like that. But they came up with this doomsday clock because they said, we are doomed, it's inevitable. And, um, and so what they've kind of tried to do is say, how close are we to actually seeing the world destroyed by nuclear weapons? And they, they sort of put the finger in the air of the political, you know, geopolitical climate of the world and say, how close are we to doomsday? Um, and one of the things that's kind of interesting, by the way, is um, when was the last time I talked about or did you know did through the Bible? Um, I've talked about Matthew twenty four a lot in the last you know years, but but the last time I taught verse by verse, chapter by chapter through Matthew twenty four was back way back in two thousand and eight, and uh, so that's that's how long it takes us to go through the Bible. What is that? Uh, <laughs> carry the one, yeah, fifteen year pace, <clears throat> but. <laughs> But, um, but be that as it may, back in 2008, the doomed, doomsday clock was five minutes to midnight. And I, I was showing you that because it clicked. You know, it was, you know, I remember when it was 10 minutes to midnight when I was a kid. And then the scientists were like, it's getting closer, it's getting closer. And the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, uh, made it tick uh, shockingly closer to midnight. And midnight is, you know, D-Day, doomsday for the world. That's kind of the way they're, and they're, I think their, their point is to awaken the world to the certain doom. If we don't figure this out, the world's gonna be blown up with a fervent heat uh, and everybody's gonna melt and, you know, it's gonna be a horrible thing. And they're trying to say, we shouldn't let it go that way. But um, just this week, the doomsday clock scientists moved it. You know, I said it was five minutes till midnight back in 2008. This, they've been moving it closer and closer since then. But uh, just a couple days ago, they moved it again to 90 seconds to midnight. That's what they're saying, uh, which is kind of interesting. And they're taking into account Russia and Putin and the Ukrainian conflict and all this stuff about destruction and, and uh, World War III and what's, what's gonna happen. And so um, as of now, we're 90 seconds to doomsday according to the scientists. So who's talking about doom and gloom? Not me. I'm talking about boom and zoom. The rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ. Um, but they're the ones, the world is freaking out talking about when the world's gonna be doomed. And so um, all that to say, this, this, this really, uh, 
By the way, on these things Jesus is gonna talk about, I'm not gonna do a prophecy update on all these points. Um, we talk about, that's one of the things we do uh, at Prophecy Updates, which is, by the way, our, uh, this Friday. Um, I talk about what's going on in the world that sort of um, falls in line with what Jesus says here. I'm not gonna dive into wars and rumors of war. I could talk about what's going on in the world today, geopolitically, and boy, we could spend three weeks talking about that. There's a lot going on in the world, wars and rumors of wars. Um, probably the biggest rumor out there is World War III. And that's the big one that everybody's kind of talking about. But um, the world doesn't really know what to do with Putin and the Ukrainian conflict. And Germany's freaking out because of, you know, they're not giving their tanks, but we are giving our tanks. And uh, and they said tanks a lot and uh, we gave them to them and stuff. But uh, uh, sorry, you gotta bring a little joy. Remember, joy, peace. You know, China is lurking. Uh, uh, we, we could just go on and on about the rumors of war and the wars that are actually happening. Um, and so these are the kinds of things when we see what Jesus is saying, we, we ask the question, boy, does this mean that we're getting closer to the second coming of Jesus? Because um, that's what the disciples ask. When, when, what are the signs of your second coming and the end of the world? And he says, well, here's what you need to look for. Don't be troubled by all this, but you're gonna see wars and rumors of wars. Um, you're gonna see deception. Uh, and then that's, so you, number one, deception. Number two, wars and rumors of war. But thirdly, you're gonna see, I'm just gonna call this one kingdom against kingdom. But this is kind of a clumsy title because he's actually saying two things here. Check this out. He says in verse uh, seven, for nation shall rise against nation and uh, kingdom against kingdom. Uh, and there shall be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. Now, before we go into that list there, because there's a whole list of things there, let's first talk about kingdom against kingdom. But we're also gonna lump in there nation against nation. But here's what you have to understand. Are we, is, is Jesus just being redundant for you know hyperbole, kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation? See, in my mind, that's kind of the same. Uh, kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation. So, okay, we got it. Why'd you say it twice? But that's not what he said. Um, and you might make a note, when he says nation against nation, depending on what translation you have there, the Greek word for nation is ethnos, which means ethnicity, um, which is a people group, a large group based on various cultural, physical, or geographic ties. But the idea is racial ethnicity. So it's not just king, when it says kingdom against kingdom, that's what we think. Um, by the way, the word kingdom is um, uh, a whole different word. So there, there are different words. It's basalia, which means kingdom, an area ruled by a king, which in our language of modern English, we'd say nation, right? A nation ruled by a king or president or leader. You know, United States, we have Biden. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, Israel's got Netanyahu. Those are, those are kingdoms uh, in the biblical sense of the word here, uh, basalia. Um, but uh, ethnos is the first one. Ethnicity against ethnicity. Are we seeing racial problems around the world today? Um, man, isn't it interesting? You know, just when you thought it was getting better and we were starting as a nation to figure it out, um, we've done a, a massive turn. I'm gonna say in the last, you know, 10 years, uh, it's been sad to see. Um, you know, when, when Obama was elected, I think, wasn't that around 2008? I think, um, last time I was in Matthew 24. Um, the one thing that I was really excited about, I was like, well, at least we got that done. You know, at least we got a, an African-American guy elected and um, that's, that's great, you know. Now, I didn't agree with his politics, 
Um, but, I, but I did think, cool, at least, at least, you know, man, look, we're a nation who no longer, like we're, we're getting rid of some of that, you know, whatever people were saying or doing or whatever, like we're, we're starting to see movement and, you know, the civil rights movement, maybe there's some gains there. But, you know, I'm just gonna say since 2008 and from that point moving forward, it's only gone downhill. It's, it's so heartbreaking. And, and, you know, now we're seeing crazy stuff on this, like crazy, crazy stuff. Um, you know, this Memphis beating, which is horrific that we, we all saw last week. What's shocking to me is like what Jesus is gonna say on so many points of what Jesus says here in these 14 verses um, of this part of this, of this uh, Olivet Discourse, we're gonna see several components of what Jesus says with the Memphis stuff alone, where, you know, um, basically so many of the groups are making this all about racism. Did, have you guys seen this? Um, Babylon B did a funny thing that Netflix is making a movie out of, about this, but they're going to make all the five officers white guys instead, um, just to make it you know more interesting or <laughs> like like because um, they were all five officers were black guys who beat to death another black guy, and it's just a horrible sad story. But all the pundits and oh, so many other groups are making a racial thing out of something that is just uh, sad and horrific. Uh, it, it's it's shocking. But it's all part of a thing. I, I believe there's a very sinister movement, and I, I'm gonna probably talk about this more in later prophecy updates, but um, about an agenda to keep the racial tension and make it even worse. Like there's actually people out there that are purposefully trying to make it worse and stirring up the pot. Uh, it's happening right under our noses. I think many of you know that already. But, um, but isn't it something that that's not just, by the way, in the United States, globally, there's tensions rising uh, on racism issues. Uh, speaking of which, one of the most racial problems that we're having in the world is uh, anti-Semitism. People that hate the Jews, that's on the rise radically. Um, and that's nation, ethnicity rising against ethnicity. We're seeing that uh, today. Again, I'm not wanting to go into all these in total detail tonight, but that's the kind of stuff we talk about, keeping our eyes on the, on the pulse of the world geopolitically when we're looking at what's going on in the world. It's not just Matthew 24. The whole Bible gives us things to look for. What are we watching for and seeing? These are the things Jesus is giving us kind of a heads up here. So kingdom against kingdom. Um, boy, uh, we could go on and on about that. But um, all that to say, uh, number uh, four on our list here is right after he says kingdom against kingdom, nation shall rise against nation, then there shall be famine. Uh, we're seeing famine uh, as bad as it's been in a long time in the world uh, right now. Um, and uh, you know, the, the amount of people affected by hunger in the world is, is uh, ramping up as we speak. One of the things that we watch by the way, in Bible prophecy is uh, more of a futuristic, what could cause a famine? And there's some interesting things that are both some, you might say natural causes that could cause famine, but there's also a lot of things we're doing to ourselves right now to cause famine around the globe. And that's stuff we watch when it comes to Bible prophecy. Uh, one of the things you gotta remember in the end times, starvation is only gonna get worse and famine's gonna get worse, especially by the time the tribulation period kicks into gear. In Revelation chapter six, verses five and six, it says, um, when he opens up that third seal, 
um, the, the beast, uh, you know, he heard the third beast say, come and see, and he sees this black horse and the one who sat on the black horse, remember he has a, a scale of balances in his hands as he's riding the black horse. And, um, and the, the black horse rep with the scales represents famine. And uh, in, uh, in Revelation 6, verse six, it says, I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. See thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now, speaking of famine, that's gonna happen. And man, famine's gonna happen in the end times and uh, you won't get any eggs anywhere. Isn't that funny? The stuff that we have right now that are short, it's like, what? What's happening? Remember it was toilet paper back in uh, uh, 2020. Like what happened to toilet paper? And what did that have to do with coronavirus? I just, I'm so confused. Um, if it wasn't toilet paper, then it's, you know, um, you know, this or that or the other thing. But right now it's eggs. Uh, we're having a shortage of eggs. Um, again, the Babylon Bee strikes again. I had to put this one up here. Babylon Bee says, local hen surpasses Elon Musk in net worth. <laughs> <laughs> At least, the, by the way, the Babylon Bee, you know, is, is a sat satirical uh, news agency. They're not true, but you know what's funny is half these things actually do come true. Uh, the stuff the Babylon Bee's done in the last 10 years, there's actually a, a large number of the things that they were joking about have actually come to pass. Uh, that just shows how wacko the days are we're living. Well, anyway, uh, number five, uh, the idea is pestilence. Um, there in verse seven, where it says, after there shall be famine, there'll be pestilences. And um, that's just another word, by the way, for disease, really. It can be disease. It can also talk about everything from rats to germs to disease, uh, the original language that's used for that word, pestilence. Um, and we're seeing that. And whether, whether you wanna talk about pests like locusts, did you know that there's more locusts on the earth today than there were in Bible times? Like some of the large swarms of locusts have destroyed parts of Africa, even in the last couple of years. Um, more than like biblically proportioned swarms, which causes famine. Um, and that's part of this pestilence thing, as well as disease and even germs and what have you. It can all fit in that. Um, the F uh, FDA is constantly talking about uh, more and more trouble um, as far as disease and what have we uh, to see in these last times. But these are all signs of the times. Pestilence, we're seeing that. Uh, what's the next sign? Earthquakes in diverse places. Now, there's dispute. There's people that argue, are there more earthquakes now than there were before? Well, there's more recorded now, for sure. Um, the question is, when did we start recording earthquakes? And, uh, and so some people say it's the same as it always has been. Um, I wouldn't die on that battlefield saying there are more earthquakes today than there were, you know, 100 years ago. Wouldn't, I wouldn't fight that battle because I've, I've read some good scientists who say it's all the same. But one of the things that is actually happening, shockingly, I know we shouldn't be shocked because Jesus said it, but earthquakes in diverse places, there are places where earthquakes are expected to be but then there's places where earthquakes are not expected to be. And it's because we know where some of the big plates, the tectonic shifts, you know, the ring of fire and the Pacific ring, like we know where certain earthquakes are gonna be happening. And, and they, they predict it, you know, they're saying San Francisco, they've been saying for years, remember San Francisco is gonna fall into the ocean because the San Andreas fault. And we've all been praying that that would happen. But no, I'm just, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Um, but uh, 
even Oregon, you know, have you guys read about the big one that's supposed to come in Oregon? Like Oregon's supposed to have a huge one. It's this massive tectonic, that's the, the pressure is raging as this, it's ready to just give. And when it finally gives, it's gonna be a big one. And you know, the uh, tsunami's gonna reach the Willamette all the way up to your house in St. Paul or whatever. Like there's, there's, it's, it's, uh, there's people, there's scientists that are claiming there's gonna be a big one. But the Bible says in the tribulation period, there's gonna be a big, big, big one, huge one. Um, and there have been some big ones historically. And in fact, by the way, in, in the uh, land of Jordan and Israel, when we go to the tour there, there's a earthquake that was, uh, they believe was over 10.0 on the Richter scale. And it destroyed everything. Uh, that, and, and like when you do archeological digs, you always know the strata when you get down to that century where that 10.0 was, because everything's toppled and just flattened because of that earthquake. Um, so, you know, there's been big ones, but the Bible does say there's gonna be a really big one in the tribulation period. But Jesus is saying there's gonna be earthquakes in diverse places where you wouldn't even think they would be, which is all over. Uh, interestingly enough. Um, other places are affected more than others. Uh, by the way, our church down in Vanuatu just had a big, big one, a couple large ones down in Vanuatu. Uh, and good news, they're all there okay. The, the great thing about in Vanuatu, I was there with Tad one time, we were a, a big earthquake. I, I forget what the Richter scale was, but it was huge. Um, we were knocked off our log. We were sitting on a log talking with a bunch of Nivanawatu guys, like, <laughs> you heard it coming and heard it. And then we all just got up, and the Nivanawatu people were like, didn't even stop the conversation. They didn't even like, wow, that was an earthquake. But I was like, see, they have these neat little bamboo huts, and they just kind of go, shh, 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 and it's all good. Uh, nothing falls down, and uh, there's no sky rises or anything. But what you do have to watch out for there is the tsunamis. So once the earthquake happens there with our church there in Vanuatu, they all get out their radios and start listening to uh, the news about, is there a tsunami coming? Because that's, that's what's most scary. But but Jesus is talking about diverse places, signs. Um, there's other passages that talk about signs from the heavens, not just here, but other places. We'll, we'll uh, talk more about that. Um, uh, by the way, uh, this, this idea of um, the earth and the, the, you know, the end, uh, global warming and all this stuff. Uh, um, people ask, do you believe in global warming? I always say, yes, absolutely. Uh, it's 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, which the heavens will pass away with great noise and all the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Um, the earth also and the works therein shall be burned up. So yes, I believe in global warming. It's gonna happen all at once, immediately. Um, not, uh, you know, and I don't think you're uh, using a straw uh, at uh, Taco Bell is gonna change that. Um, just, just, just a little heads up there. Be that as it may, uh, there's more uh, here. Affliction, verses uh, nine and 10, it says, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Who's the you here? This is an interesting question, isn't it? This is part of the question I'm, I'm gonna answer hopefully here in a minute. I'm running out of time, verse, verse 10. Uh, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. So, so now we have affliction and people being persecuted. That's, that's this one. Um, and, um, and then the next one is false prophets. There's gonna be a bunch of false prophets, people that are uh, you know, saying things that are not true. And uh, boy, um, we're seeing that happen exponentially today. 
Um, and, then the, um, and then it talks about what happens because of that, all these things. Verse 12 brings us to the iniquity that abounds. Uh, that's number, uh, what are we on, nine? Iniquity abounds. It says, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. More sin, less love is what is being taught there. Um, and boy, we're seeing that also. I, you know, honestly, um, if, if you were to try to say, which one of these things Jesus talked about is the most happening today? It might just be this one. If you really think about what's going on in the world, more sin and less love. And it's because of sin. Um, so much sin in the world, we stop caring for other people. People care more about their own happiness and their own you know, sinfulness, um, you know, that they're gonna just keep doing what they're doing and love is just gonna grow cold and get uglier and uglier. Uh, things are bad right now, but I think we're gonna see more of this um, as, as, it, as it turns out. Um, by the way, on this, this whole thing, we're supposed to be watchful of all these things that we've just listed. Um, and, and then the reason why, First uh, Thessalonians 4, 17 and 18. Um, why should we watch for these things? Because as a church, this is the next event that we're looking forward to. When we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air. And the word caught up there, by the way, is rapture in the Latin. Uh, harpazo in the Greek, but caught up in the air to meet in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Uh, we're not appointed under wrath, like 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us, but we have the rapture to look forward to and heaven to look forward to. These are the things, the signs of the times that Jesus says. Now, only a couple more verses for tonight, then we'll pack it up. Verse 13, it says, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now there's a good question, what does that mean? Well, who's the he there? Well, that raises the question, is it the Jew or is it us? Um, and what's the end? Uh, well, I'm not gonna answer that question uh, let's, until maybe in just a minute here. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. How long ago could you say, how long ago did, would you say we arrived there where, where the gospel has reached every end of the earth? Um, you know, the gospel, there, there's really not a place on the planet anymore that the gospel of Jesus hasn't reached. Um, I remember when, when I was so excited because, you know, somebody gave a word of prophecy like, a, like 1 Corinthians 14 version of, of prophecy, not future telling, but saying how the Lord was gonna use Athe Creek uh, to reach even some of the further parts of the, of the world. And I'll never forget when I got a, a cool email from this scientist, this girl that was down on the South Pole, like in Antarctica. And she was with a group of like 30 scientists. And she said um, the satellite would go over like once every week and she'd download as many Athey Creek teachings as she could while the satellite was going over. And then she'd, she'd get them all in and then she'd listen to them during that week. And, and it just, I just thought that was really cool. She said she was the only Christian out of all the scientists that were down there. So it was kind of nice to have church uh, on her computer. Um, that, was a long, that was quite a while ago. But, um, but I remember thinking, wow, to the ends of the earth, uh, what a cool thing that even little old Athey Creek, we, we've been able to see the gospel reach uh, places around the world that uh, in our little tiny influence, you know? Um, and it's so cool how that's happened. And really you can largely say the gospel has reached the uttermost parts of the earth. And Jesus said, the gospel will be preached all, to all the world for a witness to all nations and then shall the end come. The end will come when the gospels reach the nations. 
And I believe that's very possibly, uh, check. you can check that box, possibly. Now, before we go, there's three different uh, sections in this Olivet Discourse. And I wanna just quickly go over those so we can kind of be thinking about this between now and next Wednesday night. The three sections of the Olivet Discourse, section number one, um, it speaks of the end times as it relates to the nations, verses four through 14. And when I say nations, all nations. Um, and and we, we can deduce that by what Jesus is talking about. And we can also say, look what's happened and really all those things are happening. Everything Jesus talked about are, I think we can measurably say, if, if you just take a simple you know, kindergarten level look at it, we can all say, wow, this stuff is ramping up. Everything Jesus just said is ramping up. One thing that I skipped over, um, but I shouldn't have, uh, but um, there in verse eight, it says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Did you see that word sorrows? Mark that word sorrow, because the word is odin. In the, in the Greek, which means as a woman travailing in labor pain. Jesus is saying, like a woman's labor pains, so will the end be coming. Frequency and intensity, all, all the mothers here know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, look up some biology. <laughs> but the contractions, they get harder, more intense, and more frequent when the baby's about to come. That's the word Jesus is using here. Uh, the, the word odin, it has to do with that kind of ramping up, and, and I think we're seeing that intensity. As it relates to the nations, that's verses four through 14. But he makes a really big shift in verse 15, where he starts talking about an event called the abomination of desolation. Question, maybe you guys will answer this without me even telling you, who's the next group of people that he's gonna be talking about? The Jews, because the Jews, remember Daniel was given to your people in your holy city, the 70 weeks prophecy of the, of the abomination of desolation. Remember the whole 70 weeks? If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's kind of a cool prophecy of the Old Testament that talks to the Jews. And, and it even says, Daniel, this prophecy is for you, the, the Jews, you, your holy city, Jerusalem, and your people, the Jews. And really this next section, section number two, Jesus is gonna zero in the end times as it relates to Israel, verses 15 through 36. And then I'll show you as we keep going here next week and, and what have you. Uh, the third group is the end times as it relates to the church of Jesus Christ. Um, and I'll show you how we shift gears there in verse 37. So um, this first section that we just covered, uh, verses one through 14, is really Jesus answering, generally speaking to all the nations, here's what you can see ramping up before it gets to that time of the end. But the end is not yet, um, is what he says. Uh, there's more that's gonna come before the end. And we'll see that next week. Let's pray together. Lord, this... Uh, this is such a, an exciting passage of scripture and I pray that we would learn how to um, be people that are not troubled by these things, but anticipating your great and, and, and your soon return, even more perhaps pertinent to this group, the rapture of the church, your, um, to where we get to be with you for, for eternity. But if that doesn't happen in our lifetime, Lord, we, we still have the hope of heaven and something really good to look forward to. Help us not to get bogged down in all the bad news around us, but help us to learn how to be watchmen on the wall without getting tangled up in the despair of this world. So help us to not let our hearts be troubled and help us to keep our eyes on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who saves us from our sins and is the way to heaven. So encourage us, Lord, as we see dark days ahead, we see also the bright days when we get to be with you for eternity. 
So give us that hope. Bless these, your people, who've taken this time to study tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.